NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com. What's going on, everyone? It's time for another edition of Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff, presented to you by the Podcast Heat Network, ad-free shows, and of course, our good pals at Impera, who you'll be hearing about in just a little bit here on Strictly Business. Now, last week, it was myself, John Alba, and Chris Van Vliet bringing you an awesome, awesome episode on wrestling content creation, but felt like I was missing my tag team partner. So without further ado, let's bring back the man of the hour himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Eric Bischoff, Easy E. Look at that smile. Look at those dimples. Oh, you're looking good, my friend. Good to have you back. How are you, man? Good to be back. I was missing you, man. I'm I'm glad that we're back in the back of a Cadillac here. Uh, I lo- don't get me wrong. Love Chris Van Vliet. He did say that he was the more, he was the less talented but better looking version of you. So yeah, I don't know. I'd give I'd give it to him on both sides of that equation, man. He's pretty <laughs> smart. He's a very gifted talent. He's really yeah. good at what he does, and he does have pretty awesome hair. He does have great hair. He's got a great podcast, Insight with Chris Van Vliet. Go check that out if you haven't already. We did an entire episode on wrestling content creation. I got so many tweets about this episode. We love Strictly Business when we live to enlighten, do we not, Eric? That is exactly what we are. That is our destiny. We were born to do this podcast to enlighten the professional wrestling audience so that they may enjoy the product they love even more. Knowledge is power. Knowledge Knowledge is pleasure. Trust me. How you doing, my friend? Everything going all right for you these days? Perfect. Couldn't be better. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. We've got a... Great little rapid fire episode of Strictly Business for you all. If you are an adfreeshows.com subscriber, you are watching this live. And we'd love to hear from you in the chat. If you have any questions about the business of the business for Eric Bischoff, well, then you have come to the right place like Josh Clemens, who says, ready to soak up some knowledge. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why don't we, Eric? Uh, This is going to be one of those episodes where Eric and I go through a few different topics in particular. We talk about what's been hot in the industry right now. And uh, one thing that I would love to pick your brain on, Eric, is we are now seeing AEW hit the road with these house rules house shows. They did their first one in Ohio this past week. It was a packed house. The wrestlers were all tweeting about how much they loved it. And then we got the announcement that they're going to be doing a Canadian tour headlined by the Forbidden Door pay-per-view event with New Japan that they pretty much sold out in a matter of minutes. House shows in AEW, Eric, it's not something we've seen a whole lot of. Jeff Jarrett's back in the equation there directing live events. Uh, what do you make of the decision to start to go a little all in on these house shows for AEW? I think it's great. I, I think it is. there is absolutely nothing but positive upside, potentially. Business-wise, we're going to find out. But I think in the certainly in the near term, even into the midterm, midterm meaning over the next 12 months, I think it'll probably be, I, th- I think it'll be a very successful effort. You know, AEW has proven that despite what I consider to be soft and 
flat ratings, meaning not growing. Despite that, their big live events, their pay-per-views <clears throat> do really, really well. Now, the, the, the real test is going to come if this tour is successful and it continues beyond the first six months or the first whatever. I don't know what the time frame is. It's when you start coming back to markets that you really begin to see how viable your live event business is. You can expect the audience is going to come out and experience it for the first time. It's, you know, AEW still has that new car smell for a lot of markets. And as far as the live event, you won't know how successful your live events, live event strategy is until you start showing up in those markets a second and a third time. But that's a year, year and a half, two years down the road. So I think in the midterm, I think it's going to be very successful. I love it for the talent's sake. I, I just don't think, and I can't speak as a professional wrestler, right? But I've certainly been around them long enough and have heard a consistent theme amongst all of them that if you're not working constantly, if you're not, you know, getting reps throughout the week, it's a lot easier to get injured. It's a lot harder to come up with fresh stuff. It's a lot harder to stay crisp and keep your timing where you want it so that when you are on TV, you're a fine-tuned machine. And I think having a live event schedule is going to help all of those things, as well as some creative, because that's where the ideas come from. When you're not under pressure, when you don't have TV cameras on you, when you're not following so much of a, well, not so much in AEW's case, because I don't think there's a real strong storyline in anything anyway or format to their stories. But it's an opportunity to try some ideas and come up with some new stuff. So I, I, I think it's all positive. I encourage you as we tape this on Thursday to go check out last night's episode of Dynamite because there was a pretty different show structure than what I feel like maybe you become a little accustomed to with Dynamite where there was an A story threaded throughout the entire episode of Dynamite. And I so, somebody's, so somebody over there is listening to, to uh, Strictly Business. I mean, I'm not saying they are, but I'm not saying they're not. Just well, good. That's what this show's for. We live to enlighten, even those that think they know everything. Uh, this AEW House Rules Tour, again, they're doing shows in the U.S. right now, but the big announcement came last week through Canada, specifically starting with June 28th, uh, where they go up to Hamilton, Ontario, and then they will run through Edmonton, Saskatchewan. Uh, then they will head over. They're doing a, I know this is something fun for you. They're actually doing, at the Saddle Dome, they're doing an event with uh, Calgary Stampede, which is going to be a fun little tie-in. Obviously, a lot of wrestling history there. And then on June 25th, we will see the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. Uh, give me a little perspective here, Eric, on Canada as a wrestling market. Uh, whether it's drawing back from WCW or any other endeavors that you've had, how thirsty are they for this content? You know, I, I had limited um, experience producing television or promoting live events in Canada. <clears throat> WCW didn't really make much of an effort, a, a real effort in the Canadian market until Nitro got real hot. And even then it was very limited because it was so expensive for us to go over to Canada. It was a very unique situation in Canada <clears throat> when it came to television, not so much as with, with live events, but it was never a focus for WCW. So my experience is somewhat limited. I can't really comment too much on it in terms of doing business over there. 
in, in terms of working with buildings and local promoters and local advertisers, things like that. I can tell you from having been a talent in WWE and certainly to a degree in, in WCW that the Canadian audience loves the product. I don't know. I mean, UK is hot as hell. You know, every time I go over there, it just seems to be such a passionate crowd. <clears throat> I, I feel the same way about Canada. The, the appetite for professional wrestling is consistent, you know, across the board in markets across the country, consistently higher than it is here in the States. We've got some really hot markets, some not so hot markets. Um, Canada seems to be hot from coast to coast. I also think it's something that is the perfect market for an experiment here with these house shows because AEW hasn't serviced that Canadian market yet. This is AEW's first real run up through Canada. They've, they've had very few shows in Canada to this point. And so when you're a newer product, I know they've been around for four years now, but they're still a newer product, getting that out in front of these fans' eyes in person for the first time, you're probably leveraging yourself for some success in moving tickets there since it's the first time through. Would that make sense in theory? I don't know what you mean by leveraging. I, th I think it's a hands-down safe bet that the first time or two you come through a market with a new product in a new company. And let's keep in mind, you know, there's, you know, you got Chris Jericho front and center. He's, you know, maybe not the hood ornament for AEW, but he's, Definitely a big shiny bumper, if nothing else. Um, you got some legacy there and some talent there. You know, you still got Christian part of the AEW roster. I don't know who else from Canada is there. Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega. So look, they're gonna do great. They are going to do great the first time, maybe even the second time through a year from now. Let's see what happens after that. Hopefully they'll continue to build, but I expect that this is gonna, like I said earlier. Be, I don't think there's any risk, but honestly. And they also, by the way, Eric announced that at one of those loops, one of those weekends, they're going to be taping television on a Saturday night. There was no name for the TV taping or anything, but it was a Saturday night TV taping that is advertised. And I don't know, when I saw that, it just piqued my interest a little bit based on what we were discussing a few weeks ago here on Strictly Business about AEW potentially adding another hour of television on a weekend specifically. Good for them. I think it's stupid. I think it's a dumb move. Their product is soft on television as it is. Their core product is inconsistent, and that's being really, really kind, really kind in terms of creative. Um, having another hour of television, unless, you know, and maybe it's just a, <clears throat> an economic opportunity that, it's too hard to say no to, and, and I understand that. But I am so unexcited about another hour of AEW until I see a couple hours of it that I find compelling. And I haven't seen that in a long time. Let me ask you this, and, and this is me genuinely asking for perspective here, because I feel like you probably have some idea of logistics with this. If they were to do another TV taping out there, and pair that up with a house show, for example. So say maybe you're taping Saturday TV and then doing a house show on Sunday. Would that logistically make more sense than doing, say, a one-off taping from a cost perspective? Because I have no real perspective on how much a TV taping costs to run versus how much a house show costs to run. Uh, I, again, I you know, 
I don't want. I don't know what today's costs are, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to guess, and I'm going to be fairly accurate, based on costs ten years ago. I'm guessing that AEW's Wednesday night show runs four hundred fifty grand. I don't know if that 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 probably doesn't. You know, it depends how you account for talent. But just production costs, travel for talent, production costs, satellite uplinks, everything that goes into it. I I would be surprised if it cost them le- excuse me cost them AEW less than four hundred and fifty grand. That's two hundred twenty five thousand dollars an hour. So that's still very very inexpensive cable television, <clears throat> and particularly for the the numbers that it delivers. Um. In order to do a television taping on a Saturday night <clears throat> and then a live show on the Sunday night would require that you're probably going to be at least 150 miles away, 100 miles away. Or are you anticipating going into a market, shooting TV on Saturday night and doing a live show in the same market on Sunday? Because that will be a mistake. That won't work in a long run. Uh, running <clears throat> running two nights back-to-back, one TV show, one house show, I think would be a real challenge as a business model. And but not that that's being reported. That's just me asking hypothetically. No, 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 no. And there's two ways of doing it. One is to try to, you know, yeah, look, in an ideal world, if you were so hot that you could do a Saturday night show in a, <clears throat> a Sunday afternoon show, for example, or Sunday night, in the same market, so you're flying your talent all to one location. You don't have to rent cars to get you to another location. You don't have to shoot TV, have your production crew tear everything down, you know, ship the ring and another crew off to do a live. Like that's a lot of logistics and a lot of expense if you're going to do, do back-to-back markets. But if you can do them both, if you're so hot, you can do essentially set up once, do a TV one night, live event the next day. The, the economies of scale make all kinds of sense, but you won't be able to sustain that model very long. It's too much. It, it's just too much. As much as you love Bruce Springsteen, if he came to your local venue three times a month, even you would probably get tired of it after a while. Mm, I'm not going <laughs> to answer that one. I'm not going to reveal publicly how many shows on this tour I'm going to, Eric, but that's okay. I don't do anything for myself except for live music. So you get it. Live music is the best. Nothing tops live music. Yeah, pro wrestling's pretty good too, but uh, I'm, I'm a little all in on that. We got a great question here from Brian from Ad Free Shows. He says, would AEW be better off taking one of their YouTube shows and putting it on TV? They already tape it. Why not just use that? Because I don't think it meets broadcast standards. Now you're talking about shooting a show... <clears throat> that costs X because it's a YouTube show and to make it a television show and meet broadcast standards, it's probably going to cost X plus. That's one reason. And again, why, why oversaturate a product that isn't doing that well on television anyway? I mean, this is so illogical. It's, it's great internet wrestling thinking. Why, I think, not just, why not just stream it? 
Why not well, just building up, build up the power of your streaming platform since linear television, cable television is, is a slowly dying thing anyway. Why put resources into a dying entity, dilute the product that you already have that isn't really doing that well on television anyway, despite how much you contort yourself into believing that it is, right? Put your resources into the next evolution of the product, not to a, another hour or two and more, have more ring of honor and more cross promotion and more forbidden door. Everything you do continues to dilute your core product. But couldn't you argue that, that that's a Warner Brother discovery move? I don't know. If it well, is, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Well, because I was just saying, like you said, well, why not put it on a streaming platform versus on TV? Well, Warner Brothers Discovery owns the Turner Networks, and they also own HBO Max. So couldn't they have discretion over where that would air in theory? Well, they certainly would have a voice. Right. You know, I, I think a, a, a typical scenario might be for Tony Khan to have an idea and propose it to the network and the network to... Obviously, it's the network's choice whether they move forward or not. It's not Tony's choice. Tony can propose it. Or perhaps, as you're putting it out, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery is coming to Tony and saying, hey, this is what we want. That could very well be the case. And if that's the case, more power to Tony. I would do the same thing he's doing if that's the case. But look, I, I've, I've, I've been there. I launched a second-tier product. I launched a primetime, but yet still second-tier product when Nitro was the hottest thing on t in cable television, original content, we weekly, right? And we launched Thunder, not because we wanted to, because we were mandated to. And I saw what happened. WWE has experienced the same thing. It's taken them a long time to figure out how not to dilute Raw and SmackDown and SmackDown and Raw with their two primetime television shows. And that's with... A forty-some-odd year, you know, brand behind you, and you know, decades of huge television success and prime time behind you, and momentum and generations of fans behind them, and they still struggled. And AEW isn't even close to having a solid television show yet, beyond the you know, the audience that currently loves them, but it's a small audience. I don't know. I just think it's. That, none of it makes sense to me. But, you know, I'm out of the loop. So maybe there's a strategy there that makes sense to somebody that matters. Because <laughs> nobody's going to give a damn what I say anyway, right? Well, Coach Rosie, who's an ad-free show subscriber, he certainly gives a damn what you've got to say. He also just celebrated his birthday. Happy belated birthday, my friend. Question, he says, on average, what percentage profit does a major wrestling company make off of a house show? Well, average, you know, there's no, oh, you always shoot for, we shot for, after all was said and done, if you come in with an 18% EBITDA, that's earnings before all, interest depreciate, all the costs, taxes, everything. If, if you've got a margin of 18 to 20% on any segment of your business unit, whether it's house shows, or pay-per-view, or merchandise, or licensing, that's a good number. That's a really good number. Um, that was the target. And it just depends how hot you are. And it depends on what your strategy is. You know, for a long time in WCW, we weren't making any money. 
we didn't really start making money in WCW and the house show business until probably 95 when Nitro got hot. Then it started turning around. Up until that point, we were lucky if we were breaking even and making 5 or 10%, maybe. Or throughout, the, if you average the course of a year, maybe 5 or 10% prior to 95. Yeah, maybe in 94 we were there. Prior to that, we were losing money hand over fist in the live event business. It's very expensive, very expensive, a lot of variables. And I can only imagine now with travel costs, what they are. I, that's good. You know, travel costs used to be a big line item, uh, expense line item when you were touring. But with the cost of rental cars now, airline tickets now, those margins are going to be tough. And I'm sure the prices are going to reflect that. But uh, I still think it's going to do well. I, th I think the first year, year and a half, it's going to do really well. Well, and on top of that, too, the business has changed so much in terms of pay scale where back in the day, the talent, and I'm at least speaking from the WWE perspective, you know, you, you had your downside guarantee. And then the percentage of the gates was a really important part of how talent made money in the first place. And I'm not sure how that had a direct correlation with what the office brought home with each house show, but that has changed significantly where live gate is no longer in, especially in WWE's case, no longer the major barometer for how talent get paid. Now we have these massive television contracts. We have the deals with Saudi Arabia, all these different elements come together and you're seeing talent get much higher salaries, guaranteed salaries, and you're seeing less live gate be important to how they get paid. Uh, did what talent would get paid and that cut, did that affect what you guys would walk away with as a company? In WCW? WCW specifically, yeah. We didn't pay talent based on, there was okay. no rev share. It was no rev share. Gotcha. Absolutely no. It was, it, was, it was basically set up the same way AEW was, to my understanding. Okay. AEW is guaranteeing contracts. There's no rev share in AEW. Yeah. I, I doubt that there's any revenue quite yet to share. Now, you look at, the, they're getting $45 million from Turner. What do you think the talent budget is in the AEW right now? What would your guess be? Well, I know this. You have the first tier contracts, which pay around $75,000 and some, some go a little higher than that too. And that's for like the lowest level guarantees. And then you go. So how many, so, the, so that's interesting kind of, but there, there's another, you know, there's a, there's another value in that component, which is how many of those $75,000 people are out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. One thing that, that did, become relevant to the discourse this past week. I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but there was a conversation about how uh, AEW, and this is true, AEW pays for all travel and lodging for all of its employees that go to TV, including talent, makeup, production, coaches, producers, whomever, they pay for everything. Whereas WWE, it still is you're, you're paying for your rent-a-cars, you're paying for your hotels, uh, airfares is sometimes covered, but yeah. Uh, and that became a pretty big conversation in the wrestling discourse this week. And I'm curious how that affects budgets too. Cause that can't be a cheap expense. It's not, it's not. And, and again, I, I, you know, when I say I here, here's my, my version, my <clears throat> perspective on what AEW success will be with their touring. I think they will sell out or nearly sell out almost everywhere they go. 
that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be profitable. Initially, because we don't know what the costs are. We don't know what the salaries are. See, there's so much we don't know. We, we know what <clears throat> clearly AEW wants us to know. Tony's very free to tell us how much an event grosses. We did a million dollars in ticket sales, which is a cause for celebration. It's a great threshold, but we don't know what kind of a profit margin is there, do we? Because we, if you look at AEW, what, where are they making their money? Television con licensing is number one at 45 million a year. How many pay-per-views do they do a year? Five. Four or five? Five. Five? Okay. I don't know what the math is, but you could do the math and figure what figure out, you know, what, what that revenue is. Um I don't know that they've got any significant licensing right now. Perhaps they do, and I don't know. But you add the you, you estimate those things and then you have to start adding up what their costs are. You get forty five million dollars a year to produce a television show that probably costs them. $2 million a month or more in just physical, hard physical production costs. Well, there's half of your 45 million goes or more goes just into physical production, plus your travel, plus your talent. You just don't know what the margins are. But I do think as, as far as gross sales, I'll be shocked if they don't sell out or come close, like I said, just about everywhere they go. Well, Jeff, Eric, Jarrett, I mean, Jeff Jarrett knows what he's doing, certainly. And the market is hot for AEW as a live event. It still has that new car smell in 90% of the country. I was actually going to ask you about that, about Jeff Jarrett specifically. Obviously, somebody you know pretty well, but also given his experience in the industry uh, with multiple companies, plus everything that he learned growing up, the son of a promoter, a very successful promoter, what does he bring to a position like that in terms of mapping out AW's road forward on live events? Uh, <clears throat> decades of experience. You know, <clears throat> one of the great things about having a guy like Jeff there is he's, he's experienced it. He's experienced the live event business when it was in the absolute toilet and they had to dig in every way possible to find a way to make a nickel. He's experienced the live event business when it was at its peak of its success and knows what works and how to make that work. He knows how to route tours. He knows which markets are hot, which markets are lukewarm, which markets can be a little touch and go. And current experience, because he was doing this in WWE when I was in WWE back in 2019. So it's not like Jeff's been out of the live event loop. He's been in that loop recently at the very highest of levels and, and knows it. He's done it himself. And one of the great things about a guy like Jeff is he's made a lot of mistakes and he's had a lot of great success. And you take from both. That's where experience comes in. You don't, you don't just come to the table with nothing but successful experience. That certainly has value. But a guy like Jeff, who's been through the ups, the downs, good, the bad, you know, and survive through it all also knows what not to do. And knowing what not to do could be way more valuable than what you should do. I am in 100% agreement with you on that, my friend. And listen, like failure is part of life, right? Like 
you try to set yourself up for success and sometimes you don't. But the way that we set ourselves up for success here on Strictly Business is with our pals over at Impira. These guys are the best. And I'm not just saying that because they're a proud partner of Strictly Business, but they have been so genuinely invested in helping us here at Strictly Business, Eric, because they want to get their message out about how they can help you focus on setting up a business plan that will make sure that everyone in your company or for your product is held accountable. Let's talk about Impira, man. I mean, these guys, uh, they're, they're everywhere these days. They just opened up an office in De- in Denver. They were just telling us about this a few weeks ago when we were setting up our account with Impira because they want to help people across the globe get business plans for the future by turning ideas into actionable plans. Uh, what's uh, something you want to inform the audience about here with Impira, Eric? Well, look, I want to be clear. You know, when I talk about a business plan, a business plan is something you generally do before you launch a business, right? You and, and really what a really good business plan does, in my experience, and I've worked with some people who are nothing, that's all they do. They're, they're financial people who do nothing more than build very sophisticated business plans. But that's what you do before you launch a business. What do you do after you've launched your business? You have to have a tool that allows you to execute on that business plan. And those tools have to be able to allow you to track on a daily basis, in a real-time basis, and communicate where you're at within the segments of that business plan in order to be successful. And I've, you know, I've, I've seen absolutely stunning business plans that I was so impressed with. And, and you learn so much because it forces you to think about the details of your business that you might not otherwise think of while you're excited about building your business. It forces you to get down into the trenches and, and tackle the tough stuff, things that you don't really want to tackle. But, and it forces you to think those things through. But once you have that plan, you need a tool that keeps you on track. And that's what Impura does. Otherwise, it's a little bit, if you don't have a good business plan and you don't have a tool like Impura, it's like it's like building the airplane while you're trying to fly it. <laughs> that's the best way I could say it. You don't want to do that. You want to have a good business plan, but you have to have a tool that helps you execute it. And Impira not only gives you an intuitive, easy to structure, completely customizable for your business, whatever that is, whether it's just you working out of your home with a side hustle or you and two or three of your friends doing it, or maybe you're you're a family-owned business, it doesn't matter. Or if you've got 200 employees, it's customizable for your business. It'll keep you on track. It'll keep everybody accountable. It'll allow you to execute on a great business plan organization and accountability are massive when it comes to running a successful business. You need to have a vision statement. You need to have core values. You need to set pillars because pillars, as we know, Eric, those are the foundations of every good plan, whether it's in professional wrestling or in the business world. And with Impira, you can set up teams, you can assign team members. So all of your employees, no matter how many you have, you can assign them to specific teams and set objectives for them. So you're ensuring that, you as a business owner, 
get to work on the business and not in the business. And we here at Strictly Business want to help you out with 14 days free from Impera, 20% off your subscription. Go to Impera.com, E-M-P-I-R-A-A.com forward slash Eric and use code WrestleBiz, W-R-E-S-T-L-E-B-I-Z. And you're saying, man, that's a great discount. But the beauty is, Eric, even with just the discount, we're talking about an operation that costs you less than two cups of coffee a month to use. <laughs> Think about how many times you go to get a cup of coffee a day. This cup coffee. of coffee a day. A right. day. An hour. <laughs> Half a pot a day. Easy. Right. But uh, kidding aside, look, man, if no matter how big or small, check out a period, they'll do an onboarding with you. They will. So even if you're, you know, a, a technically challenged individual as myself, a live human being will be on the other line and will walk you through it and show you how to customize this unique tool, unique tool that'll ma help make you successful. And I'll do it for you over the phone. It's easy. Yes. Big time shout out to Dean and to Ash who've been helping us out over at Strictly Business Get Set Up with the platform. They're there to help you as well. Empira.com, E-M-P-I-R-A-A.com forward slash Eric. Use that code WrestleBiz for 14 days free and 20% off your subscription we thank them for sponsoring strictly business what's up everyone it's reality steve your number one source for all things bachelor nation and reality tv every day i'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your bachelor nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars my name has been synonymous with spoilers but i'm so much more than that give me a listen the reality steve podcast part of the believe network just search b-l-e-a-v on youtube or wherever you listen Eric, I want to discuss with you another element of touring, and, and it's more so based on expansion. And that's what WWE has going on with NXT. Now, if you remember years ago, Paul Levesque kind of set the ground for them to expand into Japan and into Europe. And they were looking at maybe Germany. WXW is a very popular promotion right now in Germany. And we did hear last year that NXT Europe was going to be the plan. Uh, this past week, Shawn Michaels said in an interview that they're hoping to get that launched by the end of 2023, and they envision that it will look something similar to what we see with the current American NXT product. What do you think the merit is in having an NXT property in Europe specifically? They tried with NXT UK. It seems like they want to expand beyond just one specific territory. And uh, how do you think that sets WWE up for success internationally? <clears throat> In a massive way on a couple different levels. Number one, um, you're going to find great talent, right? And having essentially local franchises, these are WWE wholly owned subsidiaries, NXT. Now you're having a subsidiary of a subsidiary, I guess, over internationally. But essentially what you're having is a WWE um local presence in key markets where professional wrestling is hot. It will help support the television product in the local market. It'll help discover and build and develop talent in the local market, all of which will eventually become essentially a feeding tube for the larger corporate structure or core product in, w in WWE. That's where that talent will, the, the cream of the crop, as we've seen. 
will travel through those local markets, NXT Europe markets, and make their way eventually to either Raw or SmackDown. I would imagine that's the goal. That's how you develop talent. And if you think about it, it's a little bit like it's a little bit like your the old territory system, except for one guy kind of owns the whole territory, but you're developing t- talent in those local markets. I think it's it's a great strategy. The only pushback I have on it, and this was something that we kind of saw with NXT UK, and it was pretty controversial among a lot of the independents out there, was that WWE was signing these talent to low money but exclusive contracts so the independent scene in the uk in particular which is very very rich with talent was losing a lot of talent to the nxt uk brand because there was the promise of potentially going over and working for raw or smackdown and we saw a lot of indies out there in the uk go under because of that i it almost seems like that is empirical in a way where you're coming in and, and driving out all of these other, for lack of better term here, uncompetitive uh, entities in these independent markets. They're not going to be competing with the WWE machine. Uh, it, it, that seems to me like that can be dangerous for the health of the industry. Isn't that exactly what happened here in the United States? And was it healthy? For the business, obviously it was. Look at look at the size and the impact of the business today versus what it was back then. It's hard to argue. The professional wrestling industry today is bigger than anybody had ever imagined it ever could be at any point in time. It's terms of, in terms of its financial impact and, and its distribution around the world. Of course, it's been great for the business. Unfortunately, it's only been great for one guy in the business. But, you know... It's why I made the, the the analysis of the comparison, I think, to the old territory system here in the United States. Now we're seeing a version of that taking place over in Europe. And the strong independents will survive, and the weaker or the marginal ones won't. Or over a period of time, a lot of talent who will sign on to those low-money contracts in Europe, hoping to get a shot, once they realize that that shot is years if ever away, and they they'll migrate back into the indie scene. It's just the natural evolution of business. The circle Strong of life. Survive. The circle of life, if you will, Richie Ray says, and the internet is a major factor these days, whereas it wasn't obviously back in the territory days. And and reach is certainly something that's important. Like I'm curious, we we don't know this answer yet. Where will NXT Europe be watchable? You know, the WWE Network doesn't exist anymore in the United States. It exists internationally. Would this be a problem? No, they certainly exist in other countries. There are more people that watch WWE in India than there are in the United States. So clearly the WWE has an international footprint outside of the the, the streaming platform. Um, What that looks like, I don't know. I don't know what their international distribution. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. We we don't know if this would be on streaming platform. We don't know if this would be picked up locally with their existing television deals over internationally. And is it something that you're actually marketing to a United States audience? Because NXT UK, they tried to market to the U.S. audience and it didn't work. And that's why it folded at the end of the day, because there wasn't anything catching. Now, this is something that you would uniquely put together just for this individual platform 
for this specific audience. Like, I don't know if NXT Japan is specifically, or if a Japanese wrestling audience, I should say, is specifically going to be all that interested in NXT Europe, for example. Uh, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they decide to market that stuff. But they did mention too, Eric, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, because you and I, way back when we launched this podcast, did a great episode with AJ Francis, now top dollar in WWE, about utilizing these NIL programs where they're going more into the collegiate athletic spectrum and trying to pluck athletes from there and put them on the track to become superstars. Shawn Michaels did say that that's something internationally that they might look to explore. Do you still see the merit in that versus the traditional independent route? I just don't know enough about it. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's a world that I never stepped foot into really. You know, it, it, it's a post Eric Bischoff world when it comes to that, that side of the business. And there's so much, you know, so much has changed in Europe. It's really hard. It would be hard for me to comment on that, to be honest. What do you think of the concept of it in general, though, leaning into collegiate athletes versus those who are on the one track path through the independence? Again, I don't know, John. I wish I I don't know enough about the NIL business, and I don't like to try to pretend I know something I don't. You know, that's a that's a part of the business that I I really don't know much about. Does it fascinate you? Um, like anything that's new in the industry, it interests me. I don't know that I'm fascinated yet. It's too early for me to be fascinated. I'd like to learn a little bit more and see how it's working and how it's growing, but I'm not interested enough in it yet to do any digging. I haven't Googled it yet. I haven't Googled the internet. (laughs) Well, I kind of bring that up because, you know, there's a guy who maybe back in the day had something like that been around. Maybe his career path could have been totally different. And that, of course, is Bill Goldberg. And this was a big story this week, and it's something we'll wrap this episode of Strictly Business with, Eric. Bill Goldberg is a free agent. His contract with WWE has come to a close. Keep in mind, he was brought in in 2016 to do a one-off with Brock Lesnar. And as we know, that turned into a much, much longer run of about six years where he was doing one or two matches every single year. Won a couple different championships throughout the course of that run. Had some dream matches along the way. But now he finds himself back out there, and he even said he'd be open to having a proper retirement match. Uh, so let me ask you this, Eric, as a guy who's so keenly familiar with Bill Goldberg and what he brought to the industry as a performer in both the modern day and the past, uh, what do you feel he contributed in this last run? And was his return to the industry good for the industry? Oh, gosh, I think that's in the eye of the beholder. Was it good for Bill Goldberg? Absolutely. Put a couple million bucks in his pocket, got a chance to experience something with his son and his wife that was very important to him. Fans got to reconnect and re-experience Bill Goldberg again. um, Some fans that were even too young to really experience Bill Goldberg at his peak was able to experience Bill Goldberg, and everybody – Seemed to have a great time in the process doing it, regardless of how great you thought his matches was. It was an exciting time. I think it was all good in, in many, many ways. How would, you know, I, I, I don't think you could, I, I don't know how to measure how it affected the industry. I would say probably not at all. 
did it change the industry? Does Bill Goldberg's presence or anybody else's presence for that matter change the industry? Nah, not a long time. But I certainly think it was a, it was good for the fans. It was good for WWE. It was good for Bill Goldberg. It was good for Bill Goldberg's family. So how else would you judge its success? I don't know. Well, he was used in Saudi Arabia multiple times in, in a main event role. He won a championship in Saudi Arabia right before COVID even happened. Um, it's, it is one of those when hell freezes over kinds of things. Like, I don't think anyone expected to see Bill Goldberg have one more run in WWE, let alone when he had the one match in 2016. Everyone's like, okay, this is a one-off. And then he goes on to wrestle for five more years. Yeah, and, and you, you, we, we've forgotten, but, you know, Bill was not very kind when after WCW, he had a lot of negative things to say about WWE. He had a lot of negative things to say even after his first run in WWE and still ended up going back, which, you know, it's the business. It's the nature of the business. And you kind of get used to that when you've been in the business for a long time. Timing, timing is everything. And sometimes it, it creates situations where people make comebacks and have a huge amount of success that nobody thought they would. And Bill was certainly in that category. I'm happy for him. Um, I think AEW would be a great place for Bill. You know, they'd hire him, they'd pay millions and millions and millions of dollars and they'd ask him to work once or twice a year and he'd end up in a witness protection program. It would be great. He'd hardly ever have to leave San Diego. Maybe he could work a deal into his contract where he only works TV when it's in San Diego. <laughs> I was going to ask you about AEW and, and Bill Goldberg because that was something that came up hot on. Well, of course, he's going to tease it like he's going to have a big surprise. Of course. Why not get some mileage out of that? I would be shocked. I mean, honestly, I, I doubt Bill needs the money. In fact, I'm pretty, pretty sure I, that's a safe bet. Um, man, that that rush doesn't get any better than the rush he's had in WWE. It just doesn't get any better than that. Now, financially, he could probably, possibly, I guess, make a really, really sweet deal. And, hey, business is business. Bill's all about business. Don't, don't think he's not. But unless he's really money motivated, I, I, I don't see it happening. Because it is a step down. And I know people are going to hate me for saying, you know, you're burying AEW. Piss off. Just piss off. It's my freaking opinion. If you don't like it, keep listening. Get more. <laughs> I was going to say, all right, don't, don't tell them to go anywhere else. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, one thing that Tony Khan has earned the benefit of the doubt with he treats legends very well. Legends get great treatment in AEW from a television perspective. I mean, look at this. Run. Yeah, they get paid a shit ton of money and don't have to work. No, but how but it be any better than that. But look how Sting is positioned. For example, Sting no, is positioned. I, I'm, I'm in, kidding. I, I'm just having fun. I agree. I, Sting is positioned in a fantastic role right now. Where, who, by the way, Sting just celebrated his birthday and he's still kicking ass, which is just awesome. But he's positioned in a great role. He just wrestled on Dynamite. And he and Orange Cassidy did business together, and it was great. And this guy gets to go in there, and he's chasing that one last ride. He's gone on the record about that. Honestly, I think if Tony did bring Goldberg in for a one-off or something, there's obviously a lot of 
tie-ins you can do in with the history of Turner and Bill Goldberg. And, and a guy like Wardlow could benefit significantly from working with a Bill Goldberg and, and getting that rub from someone. And here's the other side of that optimistic coin. Guess what's going to happen to morale when a guy like Bill Goldberg comes strutting in with a five or $7 million a year contract? Guess what happens to everybody else that's been in the witness protection program for the last year and a half that can't get a phone call returned or an email responded to that are just sitting at home. They're getting a check. And then they come to, they get up in the morning and they read that Bill Goldberg's coming to AEW. Now, obviously that we don't know that that's going to happen, but if that were to happen, yes, there's a lot of opportunity, but there are some unintended consequences that come along as well. It's just part of it. I was going to say, but that's wrestling too. Like when no, WWE, when WWE brings back John Cena for WrestleMania, absolutely, someone gets bumped off the card. Absolutely, absolutely. The difference is that's been happening a lot with AEW. It's a lot of WWE talent that's come in over the last year and a half or two years, and we haven't seen a lot of them. And I don't know. I just. I don't see I don't see it happening. I just don't. But I could be wrong. I don't either. Often I'm often wrong. <laughs> I admit it I'm wrong. I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. When I'm wrong. Well, we love I'm covering. Right, but I'm right a lot too. So we'll you see. You are that. right a lot. You are right a lot. People, people every single week, whether I'm at an indie show or people say, Do you know how lucky you are to get to do a show with Eric Bischoff every week? I said, I am very lucky that I get to do strictly business with Eric Bischoff, because I learn from Eric Bischoff every week, and we hope you do as well. 83weeks.com. Make sure you're subscribed, and also make sure that you're subscribed over at adfreeshows.com, because those who are subscribed to adfreeshows.com are actually getting access to this nice and early, because they are getting a chance to tune in live. So make sure that you are doing that as well, and you get access to all the great Conrad Thompson podcast there are so many out there the conrad cinematic universe is bigger than it's ever <laughs> and uh you know what knowing conrad chances are it's probably going to keep expanding at the end of the day so yeah that man does not slow down he is he's he is a force of gravity he is <laughs> he, he's becoming his own planetary and solar system <laughs> we all revolve he's around got going him. on man i'm just happy to be in that little orbit spinning around <laughs> with him <laughs> absolutely again guys check out impira 14 days free 20 percent off your subscription impira.com forward slash eric code WrestleBiz cheaper than two cups of coffee a month as is get that discount courtesy of eric bischoff you're going to be in a good place with your business anything else you want to add here eric not a thing brother great to be back probably see you this weekend or hear from you this weekend and uh Let's gear up for another great show next week. I've been a little busy, been a little preoccupied this week, so I haven't really been able to focus as much as I'd like to. But next week, I want to drill in hard and deep on where WWE is in their <clears throat> sales status. Mm, and that will be the perfect lead into WrestleMania week as well, which is the busiest week of the year for WWE. So that will be lots of fun. He's Eric Bischoff. I'm John Abel. We'll see you next time right here on Strictly Business with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, 
It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.